everybody, and welcome back to the latest episode of FP Next. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sarah McNaught, and I'm here with Kurt Arns. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? Doing pretty good. We like to see some winter weather back in the Northland. And uh, yeah, maybe depends so on much. how much snow, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So if you're anything like Kurt and I, maybe your ag marketing course you maybe took an undergrad wasn't your favorite thing. Uh, you know, the discussions about what hedging and holding even is and trying to decide the best management really depends on the farm. Kurt, what did you think of your ag marketing courses? Yeah, so besides microbiology, I think ag marketing in college was about my worst class. And then when I farmed full time, I think I always told my neighbors that they could have paid me to sell my grain because usually the day I swept the bins empty, you know, the next day grain would go up like the limit. It didn't matter if it was corn or beans or wheat or whatever we were selling at the time. So, you know, I probably could have made more money from my neighbors than I ever did selling grain. So I probably hit the bottom more than the top. So, you know, and that's why we have... (laughs) That's why we have guests like we have today on, because I think, you know, that marketing thing is is a question for everyone. Absolutely. Well, with all these questions, it's a great thing we have our local expert here on the show today to give us some answers. So just to introduce our guest today, we have Jacqueline Holland is our grain market analyst for Farm Futures, and she covers all things marketing and ag business. She's a graduate of Illinois State University with a bachelor's in finance and agribusiness, and she has her master's in agriculture economics from Purdue. On top of all she does across Farm Progress brands, she also competes in triathlons and is a frequent hiker in her home state of Colorado. Not to mention she has potentially the cutest coworker, which is her puppy Stella. Uh, so Jackie, welcome and thank you for being on today. Thank you for having me, Kurt and Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. So before we get into all things grain marketing, we have a couple fun questions to get to know you first. So first off, of course, everyone's favorite thing is like the office dogs, farm dogs. Tell us a little bit about Stella. So Stella is a 10-month-old Portuguese water dog. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm and only ever had farm dogs growing up. This is my first inside dog. And um, she is a mischievous little pup. Uh, she tore apart my my lovely feather duvet a couple <laughs> weeks ago, and it just looked like a feather explosion. Um, but she's she's such a fun little dog. She's such a mm-hmm. sweetheart, and she loves to go hiking with my husband and I. Um, so it's just having her around has just been such a wonderful way to enjoy life a little bit more. And Definitely. I grew up with a lot of animals. It's so great to have an animal around. I I totally didn't realize how much I missed that. So Jackie, you're at Fort Collins, right? And so my right. big question yep. is, what's the best place to get a burger? Ah, there are so many good burger places here in Fort Collins. My absolute favorite is Big Al's because they do, um, they make their patties with a mix of half chuck, half bacon, and it's so juicy and delectable. I absolutely love it. Um, but I, I will say Fort Collins has a really big craft beer scene. Um, my favorite Burger, craft beer, and patio combo has to be Cooper Smith's, especially in the summer. So, 
Yeah. That's, that's my, those are my favorites. <laughs> we have a list yeah. when we come see you now for burgers. Yeah, right. I mean, it kind oh, of gets your mouth watering. So, <laughs> well, I suppose we should <laughs> get around well, to grain marketing half, since we half chuck, half bacon. I know. Can't beat it. <laughs> we should probably get around to grain marketing since <laughs> that is the title of, uh, you know, this podcast. And if any of you have attended uh, Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, Farm Future Summit, I mean, you've probably heard Jackie, you know, share her her insights, market updates. And that's why we're really having having her and, and she's bringing her expertise here with us today so we can kind of help help you answer some of your questions. So, you know. To start out, I think um, a lot of folks get confused. It's a, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, misunderstandings or whatever. But let's talk a little bit about the difference between forward contracting, hedging and options and, and kind of how those play into your marketing strategy. And maybe, you know, my thing was always, you know, my comfort level where that was at with each of those types of strategies. Could Could you help us out a little bit? Yeah, and I'm going to back it up to the basics just really quickly. Um, before I, I explain the differences there, um, because when I was back home at um, my parents have a dairy farm, a 300 cow dairy farm in northwestern Illinois. And when I was back there for Thanksgiving, I was helping with chores and helping with bookwork. And I, I kind of had this really big um revelation about marketing. You know, the most important factor about marketing that I think gets left out of so many of our discussions is that it's about timing. Um, timing's so important because for production agriculture, uh, the timing of when we get our bills doesn't always match up with the timing of when we receive our paychecks. So, um, for example, row crop farmers, uh, you have to pay for all of your other inputs uh, months before, you know, oftentimes your crop is harvested, but even before it's planted. Um, for cattle farmers, you know, you're paying for, in some cases, you're paying for feed on a monthly basis or, or even more frequently. But you only sell your cows or steers after you've already been putting those inputs to them, you know, after one to three years. Uh, dairy farmers receive their paychecks much more regularly because you have to milk cows every day. Um, but they face high, they also face higher, more frequent expenses than row, than their row crop counterparts. Um, so, you know, there's a different bit of focus on liquidity and cash management there with, with those operations. So, you know, when you have these time lag, these time lags, these biological lags, um, your operation is more exposed to price risks. You know, there's always a risk that when you when you decide to plant more corn or soybean acres one year, that by the time you harvest them, the prices for those crops will be lower than what they were when you set out to plant those crops. So marketing in a lot of these tools that we talk about is a way to reduce those price reduce those price risks so that you can lock in your profits 
ahead of time. So then for producers who are kind of dealing with all of those juggling all those balls in the air, what are some of those tools they can kind of have to help help in those situations? Yeah, so a couple of them are like the ones Kurt mentioned uh, at the beginning of the question. You, you know, when, when farmers are talking about forward contracts, that's usually a private negotiation between a buyer. And that buyer can be anyone who wants who wants your grain more or less or your livestock can be an elevator processor um a river export terminal an ethanol plant um a feedlot um but the gist of it is is that um it's a private negotiation with that buyer to make a to deliver that grain at a time in the future at a price that you set earlier uh, before that delivery is made. Um, That's kind of a basic way to kind of reduce your time risk, time and price risk. Uh, There's also cash delivery, which is just selling your grain straight off the combine um, or directly out of the storage bin to a local buyer at whatever the cash market price is offering. Hedging involves a pro, it's kind of a a double accounting process, if you will, where you sell your physical crop and then you buy a futures contract of a similar size to that sale. And then you sell that futures contract at a later time and hopefully at a higher price so that you can take advantage of some of the price movements down the road. Um, Usually when farmers harvest their crops in the fall, um, kind of thinking back to Econ 101, when you have high levels of supply, which is usually at harvest time, you tend to see prices go lower. Um, So hedging offers that as an option. To, to really capitalize on those market opportunities down the road. Storage is another actually super easy way. Like it goes back to, Bibli- it has roots in biblical times. Um, but that is when you can sell, you wait to sell your grain. You can either store it on farm or with a commercial storage facility and wait to sell it when prices go higher. Um so like an example of that could be a lot of corn growers might be holding on to to corn bushels right now, um, hoping for a good export, a corn export season next summer. Um, options are another tool that farmers can use. It's similar to a futures contract, but you have a little bit more flexibility on capturing price movements. Um, however, there's a little bit of cost. Um, this kind of product will take off the highs, will take the highs out of the highs and kind of the lows off the lows of price movements, but it still kind of gives you a steady predictable price that you can lock in. Farmers can use any combination of these methods. Um, there, and, and there are other products too that, uh, you know, that private companies offer, that elevators offer, but essentially they're all kind of variations on the same thing. Selling your grain at a certain time and at a certain price to meet market conditions. 
My question, you know, related to this is, and I, I think you probably have a sense of this, but we used to do a lot of forward contracting when we were raising grain. But, you know, of those, of all these different methods, I mean, what do you think the majority or percentage wise, you know, which methods are most often used? I mean, maybe ca- is cash delivery, you know, people just just basically deliver at harvest time. There used to be a lot more of that, but w- which of the methods are used most often, do you think? Um, the cash delivery is still pretty popular. Um, that's not really a surprise because, you know, a lot of farms, you have a limited amount of on-farm storage capacity. And for some growers that for some growers, it's just easiest just to get it out of the field and get it sold and get your check right away. You know, when you're thinking about the time value of money, you know, if you sell your grain at harvest, you have that cash on hand. But if you're storing it, you don't have any cash to work with. So, so cash deliver. You know, cash is always king. Cash is the primary, um, the primary method of delivery that that we see with a lot of farmers, um, especially in, in the survey work our team does at Farm Futures. However, we see a lot of farmers also utilizing on-farm storage, um, as well as um, some of. The, a lot of the bigger farmers tend to utilize those hedging options and futures and options strategies. So it, it, there's also some economies to scale with it. You know, the bigger, the, the bigger operation you have, the easier it is to justify some of those brokerage fees and, and spread them out. So um, it, it depends on farm size. Uh, overwhelmingly, cash is king. But, you know, in the U.S. especially, in the U.S. especially compared to other countries like South America, uh, the Black Sea, private on-farm storage is much more widely adopted here. And that's what gives U.S. farmers so many more pricing opportunities with with these products that I outlined. Okay, so we were talking about our big thing we wanted to cover kind of for today's podcast after we gotten like the, the what's what and the black and white is talk about some of those studies that share that women in the family are often the grain marketers. And some of that data is actually saying that women are even better at marketing. So are women actually better at grain marketing than men? I am so excited that you asked this. Um, so I can't speak to the, to the exact data, but, um, when I was doing my master's, uh, my master's thesis, um, I surveyed large farm owners, or I guess I didn't, um, the, my school did, and then I helped analyze the data, but the data set that I analyzed showed that women tend to be much more conscious of performance, um, financial operational performance than men, and are much more willing to forego relationships with specific brands or specific retailers if their if their performance isn't up to up to the farmer's standards. Um, so to that end, uh, you know, 
that's not a surprise to me that there is data out there that says that women are better marketers. Um, a lot of women have been involved in farm business management in, in these farming operations for a long time. And, you know, it's just, it's a really great quality that women tend to take a longer term approach to strategic decision making. Um, you know, women tend to be very aware of when bills need to be paid, how, how much needs to be paid when they're due. Um, and, you know, so so they're planning not just for the next price cycle, but, you know, for generations. Um, and, you know, women just tend to have a more risk averse risk profile. You see a lot of studies about about traders and in their um, kind of approach to to picking stocks and those kinds of investment strategies. And a lot of the best traders, yeah, you know, they might miss the highs, the highs and the lows, but they also know how to price to get to capitalize on that um, the best profit opportunity. So, and I, I think it's just a wonderful, I think that's a wonderful statistic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. My, my, uh, when I, when I was growing up, my mother was the grain marketer in the family and, and she did all the farm books at the time too. <laughs> so she knew exactly what it cost, you know, to raise a bushel of corn. So she knew what we had to have. Dad didn't care, you know, he just wanted to go out and raise the crop, <laughs> but she cared exactly whether or not it was going to make some money or not. And, and she knew how to, how to make sure that happened. So I thought, I always thought that was interesting. So that, that's really good. You know, and the other thing about grain marketing is it's so specific to individual farms. I mean, every farm, like you said earlier, is really different. So, I mean, where do you start? How do you how do farmers come up with the best marketing strategy that's going to work, you know, on their place and take some of these principles that you're talking about and just put them into action, I guess? I think the easy blanket statement for that is you have to figure out your farm break evens. Um, But. Uh, you know, I, I think it's I think it's way more intricate than that. Uh, you know, first you have to look at your own operation. You need to look at the timing of your cash inflows versus when expenses are incurred and when they're due. Um, you have to be able to be comfortable kind of doing some unit conversions. So you can really kind of hone in on, on, on some of those operate on some of those like managerial targets that'll give you the break evens that you want to find, um, you know, and then you want to look to see are there variances when you're experiencing these cash inflows and outflows? Uh, you know, do you want those to match up with certain cycles in, in the grain market cycle? Um, you have to account for, you know, what kind of cash reserves you want to have on hand. So having a good grasp of, of what you want some of your short-term cash management goals to be, um, as well as, you know, what's your goal on, on paying for different expenses with, with different maturities. So, uh, what are your goals on paying for? Bills, you know, common bills versus equipment payments versus real estate loans. Um, 
because those are all due at different times. So, you know, they kind of require different revenue sources. Um, And the last really critical one um, that I know that I need to talk about more is what type of crop insurance do you have? The crop insurance tools that uh, USDA's risk management agency offers do an incredible job of helping to offset offset serious systemic price risks to farmers. So if you can get part of your crop partially, even partially covered uh, with good crop insurance, um, that's actually one of the best first steps in marketing. And then from there, you can kind of determine how much of your crop do you want to protect? You know, how much can be hedged? Um, you know, and what marketing tools work best for your farm? It's like all the time we go out in different farms and it's like, oh, it's a little different on every operation. What do you do? It's kind of the same thing with marketing, it sounds like. So, so then when you do spend all year putting your hard work into growing a crop, you know, we always hear about how you get a little attached to that grain. How do you overcome the psychology of holding on to grain that's always for that next, waiting for that next best price that's always just like right around the corner? So I have the, I have a perfect personal example of this. Um, I've been helping my brother to navigate some forward contracting on our family's dairy farm um, with our soy meal purchases. Um for those of you who have been following the soy mill market, it's been on a bit of a wild ride uh, over the past seven, eight months. Um, the world's top exporter, Argentina, essentially had a failed crop due to drought last year. They've ran out of, of soybeans to crush. So the market has turned to U.S. soy meal crushing to, to fill that void. Um, we, on our farm, we were looking at locking in some prices last spring and we did lock in at a low price, but then the market went lower and went like, like a few dollars per ton lower. And I was watching this and texting my brother. I'm like, how do you feel about this? And he goes, I think I'm okay. And he's like, that's okay, right? And yeah, it absolutely was okay that we missed that low. Um, Because our perspective was, we we are still paying less for soybean meal this year than we were last year. And, you know, we were... We were at that time back in May, we were already able to make plans with how we were going to put that savings to work, which we didn't have as an option before. Um, so so we weren't really all that bummed on on missing out on the extra couple cents per bushel or, you know, the extra couple dollars per ton. The The marginal benefit just really wasn't worth the emotional cost of hitting the price just right um you know and we had the ability to plan and to have savings and create more future value for our operation was was you know so much more valuable than than getting the right price it was the right price it turned out (laughs) well and and 
any price that's a profit, you know, that's what my dad used to always say, if you can lock in a profit, then you're doing great. And so, you know, you're, you're probably never going to get the top all the time or very few times in your life. Um, get that, that fortunate or smart. Right. So I was just going to say there is a science to it. I mean, markets are cyclical. So yes. Yeah. And you know, it varies on your, you know, what your managerial perspective and values are. Um, but you know, we try to take more of a long-term strategic approach to using this kind of tool because, you know, it's not just about, you know, hitting the price on one day. It's about being profitable further into the future than that. So you can always bet on the Chicago Cubs if you want. Uh if you're if you're if you want the drama of waiting for the next best price in your life. Well, I'm a Twins fan, so I'm in the same boat as the Cubs. So <laughs> um oh, a little better, better though. A little better. I know, I know. <laughs> there are better times of the year to sell grain versus others. We you know, we know that. Can you tell us just a little bit more about kind of the psychology of the timing? Because you know, you started out the conversation talking about timing and Times of the year is pretty important. I mean, harvest is a lot of times not the best time of the year to be selling the grain unless you really need the money. So, yeah. Um, so the economist answer is that it depends, which everybody hates that answer and understandably so. Um, but it depends on the crop, depends at what kind of global dynamics are at play. Um, right now, looking at corn futures contracts, the contract months that are more cor- current, so like the March 24, the May 24 futures, um, those months are currently cheaper than the deferred months. So that's going to be like July, um, July 24 futures, uh, September 24 futures. Um, and when that happens, when, you know, the earlier contracts are, less expensive than um than the deferred month contracts that's what we call seeing carry in the market and that is the market telling farmers hey how about we'll pay you to just hold on to your grain for a little bit and we'll give you a better price down the road um and and where what i suspect is happening there is that the market is expecting that corn the corn market is going to see a really good export bump next summer um for soybeans it's the exact opposite right now uh current contracts are more expensive than deferred month contracts um that's telling us that the market which means like the end users want to buy these uh soybeans and get them used sooner rather than later and you know for corn and soybeans especially a big part of of what's happening in these markets right now um, is being heavily influenced by market dynamics in South America, Brazil, Argentina, but especially Brazil. Um, they are experiencing increasing acreage every year, which means they have more supplies um, because they're in the southern hemisphere. They're on the opposite growing schedule from the U.S. On the northern hemisphere, 
So, you know, it's, it's winter here and we're not growing anything. But right now in South America, they just finished putting in their, their big soybean crop. Um, so they'll be able to capitalize on some of those timing opportunities. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, too, South America has much fewer storage options than here in the U.S. Um, they also have cheaper freight. That means when they harvest these really, really big crops, they flood the market and drive prices much lower. Um, and uh, you know we've we've kind of seen this dynamic play out last summer with Brazil's corn exports. Um, but everybody wants to buy grain at the lowest price possible. So as a result, Brazil has become the world's largest exporter of both corn and soybeans. Um, And the South American crops increasingly dictate how prices, how prices respond um, across the world. So kind of with all those factors at play that you just were sharing about, what's the next big pricing opportunity for corn and soybean markets? So it's really looking like that this Brazilian soybean crop is probably going to drive any potential pricing opportunities that we'll see in the next couple months. It was really dry in Mato Grosso, one of the key Brazilian soybean producing regions this year when they were planting. So a lot of farmers delayed planting or had to replant because the soils were so dry um, that it inhibited germination, uh, seed germination, essentially. Because they're behind schedule, that means the buyers that they have lined up to to receive the exports of the soybeans when they're harvested, there might be a gap where those buyers don't have the Brazilian crop on time. So they could come up to the U.S. and um, seek to buy exportable soybean supplies from us. And that would drive our prices up and it would be more profitable for farmers. So a lot of those international buying dynamics are really really important. You know, we saw that play out last week in the wheat market. Uh, China booked some surprisingly large orders of um, U.S. soft red winter wheat. Uh, In fact, it was the largest weekly volume that China had purchased from the U.S. since July of 2014. Um, And China's expected to be the world's largest wheat buyer this year. So wheat prices rallied last week on the hopes that China's, you know, buying paces would keep U.S. wheat prices competitive with larger exporters in Russia, uh, Ukraine, and in Europe this year. So, so yeah, and, and local local prices matter too. It, it's not just it's not just overseas. Um, Right now, in most places here in the U.S., uh, we're seeing that soybean processors are offering much more competitive cash bids to farmers for their soybeans um, than than location than terminals that um, might feed into the export market down at, at the U.S. Gulf. Um, and the same that same dynamic is holding true of corn. Uh, 
so those export origins down to Mexico um, for U.S. corn are are just so important for for providing cash opportunities to farmers this fall and winter. So then with so much information available today online, um, what are some of your favorite resources for farmers to go ahead and find that information to make decisions on their marketing plan, whether that be marketing updates, analyzers, kind of something around those lines? Yeah. So I'm I'm very fortunate. I have a trading terminal that that gives me all of the current prices, uh, current market headlines, shipping info, um, those kinds of things. Um, However, USDA publishes just a plethora of market data. Um, They uh, that that that's really fundamental to determining how prices move and and where they are headed. Um, A lot of my time is spent analyzing these reports and and figuring out where the market's headed from there. Um, USDA data is great. It's the gold standard because the agency utilizes just the most resources and provides the most unbiased look at supply and end usage data. Uh, for for domestic and international agricultural production, um, that that those that's my big one. Um, I also read a lot of commentary from other analysts and economists. Um, Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing, Kieran Braun with Reuters, uh, David Widmar with AEI. Uh, and Troy Bockelman with uh, Cattlefax are some of the most emotionally intelligent analysts I've ever had the good fortune of working with um, and just always deliver fantastic insights. Um, I also stay in contact with some old coworkers from my previous jobs who can give me good insights about all the different stages of, of the ag and food value chain. My current coworkers, like like you, Kurt and Sarah, um, you know, as well as as Scott Grau, Ben Potter, Jenny Latsky, Chris Torres, um, you guys are always sharing great insights with me about what's going on at the local level, uh, both with farmers and with crops. That really give me a lot of good insights about where national production might be headed. Um, And yeah, just talking with other farmers across the country is actually my favorite way to to read the markets. Mm -hmm. Um, This fall, I pieced together that the export market for corn was doing so well um, because a farmer at Husker Harvest Days tipped me off to the fact that uh, a lot of big corn shipments uh, we're coming out of Gothenburg, Nebraska and headed down to Mexico. Um, my dad's an av- my dad's a farmer. He's an avid market watcher. And, and I know that, you know, if my market commentary doesn't fly with him or, or with any other farmers, you know, it's not going to land with, with the audience. So, so, you know, really that, that extra layer of, of farmer contact is, truly one of the most valuable um, valuable ways of, of evaluating the market that I have. I know um, at 
Husker Harvest Days, your market outlook sessions, you know, in the hospitality tent are always extremely popular. And it always seems like um, mm-hmm. after you're done around the stage, you know, there's always this kind of gathering of producers kind of, I don't know if they're picking your brain or if you're picking their brains, you know, about uh, market strategies mm-hmm. and stuff. But I know you get a lot of feedback probably and questions and that kind of thing through those kinds of sessions, right? Yeah, yeah. And it goes both ways. I mean, they'll come up and they'll ask me questions and, and I kind of, I, I don't, I don't pick on them, but, you know, I definitely turn it around and, and, and I ask them, you know, what are you seeing for crop conditions in your area? You know, who's buying your corn? Where are you getting some good basis opportunities? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what else are you hearing? So that, that right, coffee it's a good shop interaction. talk is. Yep. Is and, you know, it's notch, also yeah. a good thing yeah, that. It's a good thing that Farm Progress and Farm Futures has uh, an entire summit kind of dedicated to the business side of ag issues. And I see that I'm pretty sure you're going to be doing some some grain marketing sessions at the Farm Futures Business Summit coming up at Coralville. Um, You want to tell us just a little bit about Mm -hmm. give us a preview as to what uh, producers could expect if they're attending that in Coralville, Iowa. The best part about the summit is that, you know, we get to take deep dives into all of these different factors that could influence grain prices in 2024 and help farmers figure out what's the best and most proactive marketing strategy they can create to be prepared for all that. So so we look at weather forecasts, um, you know, some different marketing strategies. Uh, as well as, you know, what the implications could be for U.S. farmers if, you know, we see further delays to the South American crop schedule. Um, And, you know, because it's so early in the year, we're also going to be talking a lot about what the 2024 growing season could look like for the U for U.S. farmers and what those potential price impacts will be. Um, when those crops, which aren't even planted yet, are harvested next fall. Uh, So a lot of forward thinking. We'll have a lot of the top experts in the field sharing these insights. Um, And the best part is, is that, you know, I'll be there. All of our experts are going to be on hand. We'll be available to answer farmers' questions in real time so that we can help you to be more profitable in 2024 and beyond. Um, And you can also have the opportunity to network with other farmers. You can share, you know, success stories, um, as well as commiserate over battle scars or, you know, (laughs) that time that we missed the top of the, the top of the corn market. So always a good time to get together and do all that networking and if anybody listening still wants to attend this summit there is still time to register online at farmfuturesummit.com which will be linked in the episode description if you are listening to this when this podcast goes live it will be next week um, which is january 9th through the 11th 2024 but if you listen to a little later it does happen annually so you can always catch up on what's going to be happening there These summits are always such a great place to get together with producers, 
And especially for that networking and learning is such a great way to have all these top experts just all in the same room and pick their brains and kind of like you're saying, share those success stories, maybe what they can be doing for 2024. Yeah, we, we really want to thank Thank you, Jackie, for your time with us today and kind of, you know, laying out some some basics on the strategy side on grain marketing, because we know it's a very complex thing, but uh, we sure we sure appreciate your insights. But, you know, you don't just have to listen to this bo- uh, podcast. Uh, Jackie's reports are out uh, in a lot of different avenues. We Sarah and I both use uh, your market mm-hmm. reports in our magazines, obviously. But uh, can you tell us, Jackie, just a, a few places where you uh, you know, our producers can get connected with your reports. Yeah, absolutely. So my colleague, Ben Potter, and I, uh, we write the the morning and afternoon market newsletters for for farm, farm futures, as well as um, I think it's the outlook that is on all the farm progress uh, brand websites every day. Um, But if you go to www.farmfutures.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom, you can sign up to receive those newsletters in your email inbox every day um, without having to go seek it out. Um, We also, I also uh, publish a weekly column called Economics where I take deeper dives into different market dynamics that are really driving price activity uh, for that moment in time, just to help farmers kind of better understand the greater context and significance of, um, you know, what is going on with some of these headlines in the news. Well, thanks a million, Jackie, for your insight and expertise on on these uh, important topics. And be sure and you know follow Jackie and and Ben Potter on you know their market an, uh, analytics and reports um, through a lot of different platforms and and avenues. You know through our Farm Progress family. Um, again, we're we're so excited that you let us uh, join you on your farm and your field and your tractor, wherever you may be. And thanks for tuning in and visiting with us today. A special shout out goes to our digital and marketing team members who put a lot of work on this uh, with us, Jen Kokel and Grace Rinchy. Be sure to follow Farm Progress on social media to stay up to date with ag news and more. And check out the digital edition of your regional publication at farmprogress.com. Tune in to our next episode of FP Next for our special Shop Talk episode. We'll dive into the rise of Tar Spot across the country and hear from a very special guest. Yeah, that guest is pretty special because it's our boss. It is our boss, yes. <laughs> so she's got some great insights coming on Missouri about Tar Spot. And as always, if it's agriculture, your friends at Farm Progress have you covered. We'll see you next time.